Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrist Podcast with my favorite guest, Jeremy Fox. I'm Owen Scott Muir, and today we're going to be talking about a paper published in Nature Medicine on the role of magnesium ibogaine in post-traumatic stress disorder for individuals who have traumatic brain injury. And this population was special operations veterans. Jeremy, introduce yourself. Jeremy Fox, licensed professional counselor, trauma specialist, men's mental health advocate. Great to be here. It's great to have you and, and science enthusiast. You, you, you flip open a, an academic research paper. Walk us through your thought process when you read this paper. As someone who treats PTSD regularly with EMDR therapy, I'm reading this paper and looking at this novel use of Ibogaine which is a psychedelic compound, I'm looking at how it treats veterans with TBI that result in some other symptoms of depression, anxiety. And so it's administered. And amazingly, after this, there's significant improvements, right? Sure. I'll do just a, a little tree background. Ibogaine is, a, is a, the bark of a tree, uh, essentially. And when administered on its own, it has a rate of death of one in 300. There is a rare chance of a cardiac arrhythmia, your heart rhythm going out of whack, called torsade de point. I always screw up the French pronunciation. But there is this very typical heart rhythm that can occur and kill you dead. And it's great that the drug works really well for your psychological problems, but if you're dead at the end of it, one out of 300 times, that's a problem. It yeah, turns out that magnesium, when co-administered, stabilizes the heart. And so vastly reduces the risk of that fatal arrhythmia. So it may be a way to take this compound and change the risk profile vastly towards safety. And so that's my little medical background. Drug with heart side effect plus drug that stabilizes heart side effect equals safer combination drug. And that's what they, they studied in this population. What do we know about trauma and traumatic brain injury from your perspective oh, as a therapist? Uh, we know that they can be extremely difficult to treat, right? When there's a, a neurological foundation there, you have single episode PTSD, right? You have someone who gets in a terrible car accident. They have flashbacks to the moment of impact. Use EMDR therapy, target the flashback, have the person work through it in the office. Great. Wonderful. So that's one patient profile. Now, when we look at something that's TBI, traumatic brain injury induced, there may be some complicating factors and it may be more difficult. There may be more chronic symptoms of something. And so you've got the depressive affect, you've got executive functioning difficulties. And in this paper, it was demonstrated that essentially this Ibogaine magnesium cocktail helped patients to improve their executive functioning, their capacity for thinking. And wait, wait, their thinking got better. What? I know it's unheard of. Like, Single dose treatment. Single dose treatment. And they're in, in the dissociative experience of a psychedelic treatment for X number of hours. It's about 24 hours. And there can be some ataxia, stumbling, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they're unsteady and have this weird experience. Most of their eyes are closed during this. So this isn't psychedelic therapy like you're chit-chatting during the process. Like you are deep in it. And you need to be helped to go to the bathroom and not fall over. So it's, right. it's, it's a lift when it comes to making sure... The, the mostly guys in this, because these were male special operations veterans with traumatic brain injury. Yes. 
But their job involves lots of trauma, both physically and psychologically, because they have bombs go off next to them regularly. And so it's not just usually one brain hit, it's a bunch. They jump out of airplanes, something goes off next to the Humvee, they see people die for a living. Being that kind of soldier is high impact, both psychologically and physically. And the brain, so the audience can know, is basically this consistency of soft, free cheese. So it's sitting in your head, which is a bony skull. And if you even get dropped out of an airplane and that acceleration and deceleration, even if you're wearing a helmet, Inside your skull can be a brain injury. And so you don't even need to get hit hard in a way that would matter with your helmet or whatever. Just moving front and back can be enough to cause a traumatic brain injury repeatedly. So this group of people that they have in the study, they all have a TBI by definition, and they all have post-traumatic stress disorder. And they get one dose of a treatment. And what happens? Significant reduction in depression and and improvement in executive functioning. How big of a difference are we talking? We're talking it's extremely significant. I had to make sure that I read right. So did did Dr. Williams, who's the senior author. So everybody at time point two is in remission from their anxiety and is in remission from their depression. Now, the WHO disability scales, how able you are to get through the day, that improvement continues past that time point one. And at you know, a couple months follow-up, or one month follow-up, I think they reported, Did. that's getting better too. And so it's not just a, you know, a significant difference. It's, for most people, complete remission of symptoms. It's life-changing. It's and life-changing. They- That's a term we don't hear a lot. That and improvement in thought, executive function improvement, are some holy grails in this field. Yeah. This is a life-changing treatment, at least from this paper, right? Now, some caveats. They didn't blind it. There's no control group. Right. Now, that's both a problem and also means you have to know something about the population. So what's the rate of spontaneous improvement in cognitive functioning from placebo in people with traumatic brain injury? I'm guessing it's a zero. It's basically zero. And and so the reason I'm not as concerned by the lack of control group, I want to see one in a future study if it's ethical. Not every study needs to compare the active agent to a sham or placebo, depending on device or drug. Because I make the example of parachutes, right? The the rate of placebo response to a sham parachute that looks like a parachute but doesn't work is zero. You hit the ground and you die. Right. (laughs) Right. And there are some conditions like having PTSD and traumatic brain injury, which are a lot more jumping out of a plane and you need an active parachute to save your life. And a lot less, thank you for giving me this sugar pill, I feel better in 40% of the cases like we see in depression studies. Right. And so part of why this is so hopeful is we know something in advance about the population studied, which is they have very low rates of placebo response. I'm factoring that in when reading it and saying, oh, this is probably real because when I treat people with traumatic brain injury, particularly special operators, it's hard to get them to respond even to things that have well-established evidence bases. If you look at oral antidepressants, none of them work in TBI. 
with the possible exception of Selexa. Not encouraging. Not right. encouraging, which makes this uh, all the more encouraging. Absolutely. What other takeaways would you have as a, as a therapist reading this about the disorder that you treat, trauma? My a real takeaway would be that we have a, a significant opportunity here, but also being able to administer this effectively, it's going to take time to go through the proper channels and receive approval, right? I'm hoping this paper makes a massive impact in that and helps people to study it more and get it out there as something to potentially use with the magnesium, that magnesium ibogaine. It's very hope-inducing for me. I know different, and I don't have to talk about this with you, but for the audience, neurofeedback. I've seen neurofeedback, so brainwave biofeedback basically, be useful with people who have TBI. I don't have statistics right in front of me. I think that it's very helpful to get a neurological-based modality in there. It's helpful and validating to the population to know that there are things that work and that their brains can be improved and that the tools, the medicines we had up till now just aren't cutting it. The most, the big takeaway I have is the continued improvement. Um, after one month, the improvement got bigger. It got better. It was like the Cohen's D increased and the functioning did. So whatever happened with this one dose continued to gain traction. And like, when you think of taking antidepressants, you think, keep up your doses. It takes however long, many weeks to reach that steady state in the body. But with this was one dose and it continued to accelerate, which is not what you see often in, in Medicaid, to put it mildly. Yeah, it's a remarkable outcome. Right. And we'll need to replicate it because that's oh, science, yeah. right? These remarkable outcomes require remarkable skepticism. Yes. That's a huge takeaway for me. Oh, this is a magnificent treatment. Oh, it's something that can kill someone with a heart attack as well. Dang. <laughs> I think of it a little bit like, you know, in the ICU setting, we recognize that people are dying. Yes. And we need to save their life. And sometimes that has risks and not everyone makes it. Right. And we don't have a similar frame for psychological problems that can kill you. If you have severe trauma, it can be so impairing that you die by suicide. Right. And it can be life-threatening. And maybe we need an ICU for individuals who have traumatic brain injury that presents with suicidality and not just presents with some obvious thing that you can see just by looking at somebody. Right. So. You're getting into that element of hidden disability or where invisible disabilities where people have things that they're struggling with and it's not apparent. And that factors into, I think, our medical policies. And, and we get it with walking, that like the leg doesn't need to look broken to have a problem with walking. If you had a stroke and you can't move it, that's a functional problem. And just because you happen to have a leg doesn't mean it's walkable because there can be a problem with the function of the leg. There absolutely can be. And, and I think there can be a problem with the function of the brain and addressing those functional problems as seriously as we address structural problems. Yes. It, and I love the languaging there because that makes it better to study, like talking about a de executive function and dysfunction. We're talking about quantifiable outcomes and measures for cognitive functioning. Feelings matter, of course, as well. But for benchmarks for these kind of studies in the future, looking at the cognitive improvement is only going to make it better and more open to replication and celebration, really, as well, like looking at the improvements and building from there. 
and once we're talking about function, we include time because any function happens in some time interval. Yes. It's not just a picture of a moment. Like the joint is broken. Here's the x-ray where in this moment it's bent the wrong way. Can it bend the way it's supposed to? And that's right. a motion thing. And that requires time as a variable to be assessed. And I think that's what's different about looking at these functional problems. We have to include time in our assessment. Do they get better? And what does that look like over some period of time? Yes. How rapidly or, or conversely, how slowly do these things improve? This has been the Frontier Psychiatrist podcast with my special guest, Jeremy Fox, professional counselor. And I'm Owen Scott Muir, MD, your host. Thanks for joining us.